Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. This is bonus episode. We'll be discussing the material a bit outside of our normal topic tonight. Before we dig in, some introduction. I am your host, Nolan, the Lord of the Underdeep. And as usual, we have Lance, Steve, and Matt. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? Hey, Nolan. Uh, Doing doing pretty awesome. Yes, indeed. Doing quite well. That's good to hear. All right. Tonight's show, we're doing the second bonus episode where we review a non-Woofrup product here. Because this Age of Sigmar is what we're reviewing today, and like Wrath and Glory, the bonus episode we've done before this, uh, this is we consider this a sister game. It's Warhammer, um, and Age of Sigmar was born from the ashes of uh, you know the old world, uh, very dear to our hearts, obviously. And so we definitely wanted to give this a review. It's a, also another product from Cubicle 7, so definitely kind of one of those uh, sister games. So, so, uh, so old worlders, let's uh, leave our grim, dark, and perilous world where you play characters who immediately die or go insane when they fight a demon, and instead talk about a grim, dark, and perilous world where you play characters to fight demons as their Wednesday workout as we discuss Warhammer Age of Sigmar Soulbound. Uh, before we dig into the, the meat of this book, let's talk about the presentation, the layout, the color scheme, you know, just what this book looks like, you know, production and stuff. So who okay. wants to start us on that? Uh, I'll start. I'm happy to start. Um, I feel like uh, at this point, one thing I love about Cubicle 7 is how consistent they are when it comes to stuff like this. This book is cut cut and paste what I said about Wrath and Glory and what we said about uh, Wolfrup 4th Edition. Uh-huh. The book is gorgeous. The artwork is absolutely phenomenal. It's on just about every page. The feel that this one has, like the the edges of the page, the page numbers, the uh, the text blocks, all look wonderful. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the same things that I love about 4th Edition and I love about Wrath and Glory, I love about this, where each one of the uh, player archetypes has its own full page. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. far as layout and production and artwork goes, it is absolutely ultra-consistent with what Cubicle 7 has done in the past, and I sincerely appreciate that about this book and others that they've put out. Hundred percent agree, man. Yep, well said. Yeah, I agree. It's a gorgeous book. Some of, some of the same things we talked about in the other books too, like white background, easy to read. The color scheme yep. is consistent, and and it has its own feeling, right? So, like this book, even though it has a lot of the same factors that we love from uh, Woofrip Fourth Edition and from Wrath and Glory, it's it also is its own thing. It has its own feel and style and color scheme, which differentiates it. But it sure does. Yeah, it's sure. it's very very good. Um, I I can't. I don't think I have any complaints at all about like layout and presentation. If I have one, and this is it's pretty minor, but it has it is something that I have noticed throughout reading this. Uh huh. 
Um, the background of the pages in fourth edition, for example, have a like a, a very light texture, but it's not distracting at all. Sure. Uh, this one, it is. It almost is a little bit. There are these geometric patterns that are that are very light behind each of the pages that show like straight lines, circles, mm, different right. shapes, and yeah. it, I found that at times it would like I I would get distracted or I would notice it a little bit more than others, but that's super minor. I you know. Overall, like, like we've said, this—if there's one thing that that, from my experience, Cubicle Seven has done extremely well, it's being consistent with their layout and production. Yeah, yeah. I, I really do like the like the main the picture on the front. Like, I think that's pretty cool. Kind of sums up what the like soulbound is. Just enemies rushing you from all sides, and you're standing side by side with your brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah, it's and in in such a gigantically diverse group of characters there, right? When and when you mm. look at that, and and I think that's one of the strengths of this book that we're going to talk about here in a second. So so let's let's get on to um, uh, we have the standard. So we're going to kind of go through this book like we do before, kind of in order. And you know, you have your introduction section, standard role playing one one stuff, nothing too crazy there. They talk about the basics and everything, but there is one point that I think is going to lead us into some discussion here is they tell page seven right up front. They say the soul bound. What is the soul bound and why is that important in this game? And they tell you right up front. And I have to say, this may be one of the smartest, best ways for character tie in that I've ever seen. Um, well, I, who wants to describe the Soulbound? What What are you taking, Lance? All right, so unless someone else wants to, no, Lance, go for it. So yeah. here's here's the concept of the Soulbound, right? You you your diverse characters uh, go through this ritual to have their souls bound to one another um, in such a way that you're no longer like a normal man or or you know elf or or dwarf or, or well you know a elf i guess i gotta correct my terminology here right like you uh you gain power and ability through you being bound to your your party members to your group and it is this soul bound which gives you strength and the ability to essentially be bigger than life heroes um, in order to fight for, you know, essentially Sigmar <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and and the, you know, the the coalition of good or what, however you want to call it. And there's a lot of different like reasons for each of the different types of like races and species and stuff like that that might want to become soulbound. But in its core, you're all tied together and it also is the source of like some meta currency for the group to be able to do certain stuff. We can talk about that a little later, but the, the storyline basic is, is you are the, you are one of the elite teams who by tying your souls together, become more powerful and are able to take on threats. It's uh you're like the crack team, the, the best of the best. And now go forth and take care of problems. Right. 
I I think this is super neat. I actually on our uh, oh, some of the notes I took before recording, I just put a little star next to this and wrote "wicked" because it's gnarly, right? The mm-hmm. it yeah. specifies in there that becoming soulbound is a phenomenally painful process, one which not everyone survives, and this idea that like you know to be able to take on chaos, you need to you know suffer or potentially even die to be strong enough to even go face to face with it really really neat concept right things like mm-hmm. your your wounds heal quicker and your you know your soul is protected from nagash nagash the god of death you know uh you know thing thing is things like that it's just like it's it's very in-depth and it's built in through this entire book uh about the soul bound and why someone would choose and and what are the benefits and and effects of that um it's just it's fascinating it's fascinating um and and one of the things that i think it 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 solves is then a lot of role-playing games great let's all get together especially for your group of friends that know you know let's hey make a character and come to the table you can have such a wide range of characters like when we talk like we we talked about this a little bit with wrath and glory and they had some specific things in there to help solve those with different tiers and uh I forget like you uh your storyline but this here is you guys come from all these different walks of life why in the world would you be working together here you go because you're soul bound you've been bound mm-hmm. together done like you can have widely different outlooks on life and goals and all of that kind of thing but here this is why you're bound together and work together it's like it's like one of the potentially biggest problems. Like the I've said this a lot of times, and I'll I'll move on from this. But the whole you meet in a tavern thing, right? Five sessions <laughs> later, you might actually trust each other, right? Like yeah. where this is done. I don't even have to explain, like or you, we don't have to agree. You guys are together. You trust each other. Your souls are intertwined. Yes, not mm-hmm. not just trusting each other, not just being friends. Your souls are literally like you said, intertwined. Uh, really neat. Yeah, I would like to like uh, bring up uh, two things. Chapter, uh, not sorry, not chapter six, page 16. Like, it shows like the ritual going on. Like, you got a, looks like a warrior priest, an elf, uh, like a witch hunter, a Durin, and uh, uh, the Sylveth, the tree person. Yeah. Like, they're just, it looks like they're, it's like they're being ripped apart. Yeah. Each yeah. soul is being coming one. And you got the Stormcast Eternals just watching on. Uh and it's like just that image alone, it's it's amazing, yeah, like what they have to go through to be this. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. The whoever the artist was that did that piece is you, you can feel the agony uh uh-huh. the, the the folks that are in that that piece of art. Exceptional mm-hmm. job. Right. It's like, all right, great. You guys survived this. Now go into the most dangerous <laughs> missions and death-defying craziness we can find. <laughs> and, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's awesome. But I, then I think that brings up, like, then on the next page, on 17, there's, like, a little uh, paragraph of, like, what's going on. And then it just says right at the bottom, now on the brink of unending age of death, the mortal realm needs you. Arise, soul bound. Yes. Like to me, that just like that's where like the action movie, like then the music would start ramping up. And, yeah. Like, 
hordes and hordes of enemies start pouring at you. Just like right there, arise. Right. Yeah, that's that's that is a hundred percent right. Yeah, that's it, and it's such a cool concept. It's it, it, and then the next painting is yeah <laughs> is a group fighting yeah yep. demons and all kinds of craziness craziness yeah. yeah oh man and and actually so that that piece of artwork is on the beginning of chapter two character creation and yeah. so let's talk about character creation a little bit um I so I want to say first of all this character creation is extremely reminiscent of Wrath and Glory's character creation oh I was about to say the art types um yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, the concept, so you can build your character following, here are the steps, choose an archetype. It, the archetype gives you most of what you want in, to start with and need, etc. But then there's a section at the end that says, but if you don't want any of those archetypes, you want to do something completely different or make something up, here's a whole process that you can do. Yep. Um, the freeform character Right creation. out of the gate. Yeah, it gives you that. One thing I thought was a little odd, or maybe not odd, I, I think it's it's probably more suited for this setting is that you don't have like a, or at least I didn't see a way to randomize what species that you were going to take. Yeah, no, I didn't just, see that either. You mm-hmm. would just, you'd pick one. Um, yeah. And I think, so it's interesting based on your archetype, but, right? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, it's interesting. I see the type of pure randomness in character creation and things like that as a, generally speaking, not, not all cases is something that older games have. Um, so you, it, it, it was one of the things when they were working on fourth edition that they touted as a, as a benefit of the system of you, you will have the ability to completely randomize everything, right? You don't get to choose. And a lot of like the old, old school D and D same sort of thing. Like everything was completely random. You didn't get to choose that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, I I, uh, I hadn't noticed that, but that's a good point. Um, though I'm sure that you could, I don't know, list them all out and make your own random table if you really right. wanted to. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't be that hard, right? Yeah, that's true. So so and I think it's less based on you know in Warhammer, it's they do it thematically based on the species makeup of the old world is as opposed right. to you know what you're players want to do or what your what would make most sense thematically right and so in character creation the next thing it talks about is a different species and i mean we'll talk about this maybe a little bit into the archetypes a bit but just overall i wanted to mention a couple of things right so you have human first off each species i like how simple this is right a species gives you it tells you about it and then there is a simple bonus right it's not like you have mm-hmm. this giant build off of different things like all right like in in uh, Wolfrup, you have you have the species. It gives you these certain talents, and you can choose from this list of skills, and et cetera, et cetera. Right? Where this right. is just very species. Here's your bonus. Right? Mm-hmm. You have one bonus per species. Simple, straightforward. So um, that's a different take on it, and I think there are advantages to both. But there certainly are advantages to me making it this simple, um, because if from a mechanical standpoint, there's not a ton of difference between them but it is a difference enough to be flavorful Um, yeah and it i find it interesting that it's not always a mechanical difference right so like the human species bonus is you gain an extra talent whereas the uh stormcast eternal species bonus is more just about like how many times you've been reforged over time and obviously that's going to have factors as well but 
I found that to be pretty neat. Now, can we talk about that for a second? Stormcast Eternals and what they are? Because, dang. It's insane. Yeah, they. (laughs) what really, like, struck me as I was going through this was when you go and do the height of a character. Uh Uh-huh. Which is in, you know, that's like adding flavor at the end. Stormcast Eternals are like six foot four plus three D six. Like you know how freaking tall you would like they're yeah. literally giants at that point. They're basically uh, space marines in the fantasy yeah. setting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, I that's, think that's, that's what it, they kind of went with there. And and the fact that like all right, so Stormcast Eternals don't really die. So what this is a cool concept, right? So Stormcast Eternals are like transported to the the spheres the worlds like via like a, like a lightning bolt right think thor style when they die like a lightning bolt of energy goes back and they just get reforged again and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It's, the concept is that they keep getting more and more reforged like to you, what you said matt right like how many times a reforge can do but just think of how many like how much role play opportunity there is for this this type of character how many i've been reforged oh, yeah. 10 times or even just as i've been reforged three times here's the three ways i died you know mm-hmm. like and of course you got to deal with the flaws you know where every time you reforge you might lose some me- some memories of who you were and just kind of like your humanity yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's 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 yeah it's really cool i um i didn't understand stormcast eternals really until reading this book and um, they're a super cool concept. Um, yeah, with with the right roll, a Stormcast Eternal could be eight feet, two inches tall. Jeez. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, all right. So this is, we all know that this is, this world is built on the ashes of the old world, right? So um, the, the Age of Sigmar is like the old world lost to chaos in the end times. And it was destroyed and little pieces of that world were saved or gathered like Sigmar or the most powerful people became deities in this new forged world. But chaos found them again. And there's a whole gigantic history built into this. Um, and the realms are connected by realm gates and the realms are all basically based on the, the winds, the old winds of magic. And it's a fascinating concept, but as part of that, and this is a lead up to talking about the, and I'm, I don't even know if I'm saying this right. Aelf? Aelf? I don't... I always thought it was, yeah, this Aelf. Aelf. So, all right. So, um, so here's... This is, so, as far as the game goes, this isn't a criticism. Like, but So, this is where my Grognard self comes out a little bit, right? Like, so you've basically taken all of the old world and said, let me reforge it and make it new. And there's some really cool stuff that they did with that. But it's all still tied to what I know, and so sometimes it's hard for me to 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 put all these together. But with the ales, it's it's very fascinating, right? Because you have different types, right? The darkling, the daughters of Cain. You basically have the old dark elves, you know, and how have they changed, right? You have a new version of ales, which is like sea elves, basically, which is the uh, Idoneth Deepkin. Um, just like, and it's it's fascinating when they talk about these different types of of elves and by the way there are more in the age of sigmar that exists than what's in this book right i fully expect expansions to talk about more elves and during you know all that type type of stuff that's still out there to discuss yeah 
the yeah. the this has four different factions right in the book though, which is pretty right. pretty legit. Yeah. Yeah, so and mm-hmm. and my dwarves now basically have a a slayer culture and a engineer culture. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. so the art too when you're going through the archetypes, they're so yeah. good, man. So good. Uh, it really uh, a lot of it was reminiscent of uh World of Warcraft. I don't know if you guys have ever really gotten into that too much, but the art style and like the tinkering nature and the mechanical nature of some of the stuff that the dwarves do really came out in the artwork, which yeah. is really nice. No, <laughs> for sure. And then the Sylvanith man, uh, again, it's like taking the tree men and tree spirits from the old world and making a race out of them. Again, a fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of funny, like you said, like this is built on the old world. You basically have some species that would never work with each other in the old world. Now they're fighting back to back like the dark, the dark elves and the uh, slayers are basically allies in this in a weird way. They are, but. It's just amazing this uh, how everything has changed in this new kind of system, and and it's okay. So and we're skipping ahead a little bit, but let's talk about that because I find it, man, it is so hard for me to look at. All right, the the I forget what it's called, the free peoples or whatever. When we start to look at the different uh, the archetypes, right? Uh, yeah, archetypes. Yep. Yeah, archetypes. And then I'm like, as I'm looking through this. Excellent. We have like a battle mage, right? A human battle mage. And then our next thing is a black arc corsair. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. you're on the good guy side. Like even after reading the, and so, well, they're, we work together, but you know, we still do piracy on the side. Like, right. It's like, yeah. we're bad, but we're not evil. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, what? And then I'm like, oh, and then, you know, witch elves, which are the hag priestess in the, the witch elf, right? Like, I mean, in the old world, there's no way those people are working together with high elves or humans or, you know what I mean? Like, that's just not going to yeah, happen. Like, it's like, sure, we break the law, but we're not these chaos guys. <laughs> right? Yes. But, but it's hilarious when you said that, like the Black Art Corsair on page 50 with the Black Art Corsair, the archetype, it's just covered in blood. And yeah. it's like, yeah. <laughs> The free people of this place, and you have a black art corsair just covered in blood. It's like, it's like, man, I'm glad they're on our side. Also, right. don't ever be alone with them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and and still so, meet in groups, <laughs> right, right. And so, but this is okay. So let's let's bring this back to the game. I think this is one of the strengths of the game. Um, and and I admit, fully admit, I'm bringing baggage with me into this game, right? Because I love the old world. I've steeped in its lore. It's, it's definitely a big part of, of what I bring to the table and I know it. So when I'm looking at this, it makes me squeamish to think that I'm going to have, you know, a warrior priest of Sigmar fighting alongside a black art Corsair, but with the soulbound thing, especially it ties it together. And I have to admit you could have some amazing role play when you when you take those types of characters and force them to be together and force them to be allies whose souls are intertwined. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. It's it's crazy. And and backing up one thing, I wanted to mention too the whole fact that the um, 
What are the Space Marines called again? Why am I drawing a blank on them? Um, uh, Stormcast, Stormcast Eternal. Eternal. Yeah, Stormcast Eternals are not soulbound. They don't have their souls intertwined as part of the group. They're like a separate thing. So it's it's almost like they're a soulbound, quote unquote, to Sigmar. Yes. So they can't be yeah to each other. So there's some very interesting. Again, another interesting concept for role play. So it's and, it's. And- and correct me if I'm wrong, aren't the Stormcast Eternals kind of like the champions of good? Yes. Yeah. Around they're the basically, in, like in D&D terms, they're the paladins. Right. Yes, or, or, or like like famous, not, not famous, I wouldn't use that word, but more like the most courageous maybe generals against chaos in the old world. Um, can't think of any names yeah i got well i got the concept too it's like all right we have a group of soulbound and why is this stormcast eternal with you because he was assigned to you to lead you to where the the worst and most terrible missions are yeah (laughs) 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 right yeah it's it's like it's like i almost sometimes think you think about this right like you could have some you know witch elves and you know dark elf corsairs and some other craziness in here, all assigned to the same group, and then a Stormcast Eternal. It's like, it's like the in 40k. It's like the commissar leading the. I was about to say that. Yeah. The the convicted <laughs> criminals into battle, right? It's like Just keeping you guys on track. Yep. <laughs> oh man. All right, so as we move through, uh, so I so back to, just to finish up character creation, uh, a few things I wanted to talk about. They have kind of the you know fleshing out your character, the ten questions, um, a lot of questions within those questions, very similar to the way uh, Wrath and Glory did it. They have a connections chart, which I thought was really cool on page thirty six. Totally cool. Yeah, yeah, that uh, really it. does help. Like so, from one example, you just roll two dice and. You know, it's, I saw blank die, right? That's how you guys are connected. Fill in the blank, you know, or blank shared a secret with me, or I heard blank questioning their beliefs. Like, man, how easy two dice roll. And I have a a nugget that a a halfway decent role player could just run with. I won't lie. I'll probably use this for, uh, (laughs) for other games. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's great. I think that's that's a sign of a, an excellent addition to a system, right? If you can pull something and say, I'm using this in this other system, that's that's a good sign. Right, right. Speaking of which, um, between sessions chapter, anyone? Because that's coming oh, up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, character creation is pretty solid. As I said, it's similar to the 40K. Um, it's a little bit different in the way there's no, like, tiers or anything like that. Um, but the, I, I think... I think this is much more straightforward. It's also, as far as uh, the characteristics and attributes and stuff go, this is much more simple. There's really only three attributes that you are are up- upgrading. Those are what are going to be your characteristics that are going to determine your dice pools later on. Like body, mind, um, and soul. You mean like the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. No, and that's you know and that's a good point. So when I take this back, so one of the small criticisms that I had with uh, Wrath and Glory was character creation felt a little clunky and confusing at times. Um, when I did character creation through this, unless it was because I'd already gone through Wrath and Glory, it's similar, um, but I didn't have the same problems. I did create a a character, a uh, a rune smiter. <laughs> a rune smiter, nice. I like yeah. that name. 
I, I don't know how you could look at that piece of art and not say, okay, that's exactly what I'm going to make. Oh, um, I, it's, it's oh, awesome. So right. for the character that I created that I know I probably would never play, but just to learn about character creation, I went back and forth between the Cargadin or however you call them, the, the dwarfs with the airships and the dwarfs and the, the fire slayer dwarfs so many times. <laughs> I couldn't uh, choose. I think I actually made a battlesmith. Yeah, my guy. That's cool. Nice. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to archetypes. We talked a little bit about the species and how they interact. We've mentioned archetypes. We're not going to go through all the archetypes, but one thing I wanted to mention, like Matt already talked about, one page piece of artwork description, all the rules you need, simple, straightforward. I can scan it, I can print it right out of the book or whatever, so that I, like, if I need to have everything I need about my character right there. Love it. Yep. Makes mm-hmm. it makes it clean. The artwork is excellent. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those as you're going through just makes you, you know, gives you a good feel for that, what that archetype is like and, and yeah. definitely pulls you in. So, and there's wh- also a little section on, like, why they might become a soulbound. Yes. So in case you can't think of why it's like well this is why a corsair might this is why a uh a battlesmith might uh any of them like that so right so and and the fascinating thing is is some of this stuff is super straightforward like why would an excelsior war priest become a soulbound well duh they follow sigma what that's the next step right but then when you look at something like um the uh hag priestess basically Morathi, the the leader and the goddess, arguably of the you know daughters of Cain or whatever, basically is like we need to get rid of these guys because if they they are going to be hard to control, so let me get them soulbound and make it look like we're give, doing our part, but I'm also taking care of a problem. Oh yeah, and at the same time I can use them as spies. So it's like it's so well thought out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. So like, and they break it down kind of by like mini factions as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and like the fire slayers, like, man, the, the, the whole concept is it's like rune magic, but instead of putting it on weapons, I put it into my skin and basically yep. can cast Ooh. special abilities or spells out of it, but then they disappear off my skin. Like, so I have to find more Urgold to be able to, you know, forge into my skin again. What a fascinating yeah. concept. Yeah. Who thought of that? Um, and like, that's their whole point is the fire slayers. They'll, they want Urgold because that's where their God Grimnir, they believe is in. Cause he was uh, killed. I believe in the beginning of age of Sigmar or in the setting. And he shattered into like millions of pieces, and that's what they're looking for is Urgold. It, it's uh, it's so cool. Yeah. One thing I like this is a, a little touch, but it really it just again kind of speaks to the overall quality of the graphic design and the artwork. Even the uh, the little blocks for each of the archetypes that shows their attributes, their species, their skills, talents, and whatnot. Uh, for each of the different factions, that has a totally different look to it. Sure does. Right. So mm-hmm. looking at the um I hadn't noticed shoot, that. What are they called? The yeah, the Ideneth Deepkin that's yeah, like that a was light notable. blue with like some yeah, nautical yeah. Kind of a look. Mm. And then the very razor net. hooks, yeah, up at the top. Yeah. 
Yep, mm-hmm. the very next one is the Karadran Overlords, and it's their their gears. Yeah, and dude, that's so cool. And... Well, yeah. yeah, and so it added even subconsciously. Yeah. I felt like it was very nice catch, man. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good stuff. No, you know, and man, so one of the things too that so one of the things that reading through these has really brought me to a an appreciation of the age of Sigmar that I didn't have before. And, and full disclosure up front, uh, if you're ever going to ask me, would you rather play Wolfrup or age of Sigmar or like what world do you enjoy more? Like I, so far it's still Wolfrup without even, you know, the old world of Warhammer is where my love is, but I can see the coolness in this. They essentially took, well, like, let's take Slayers, Dwarf Slayers, which is very iconic and cool, right? Now, let's mm-hmm. make them cooler. If if I'm a writer <laughs> or a game developer and you say, make, just take this and run with it. You have no restrictions. Make it as cool as no possible. no limits. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, here's what I came up with. It's awesome. Like, I can see, <laughs> exactly. like, some of this stuff, like, being put into the old tabletop Warhammer game, like, where runes could act like this on on a slayer or you know there's a lot of different they took what was there and just grew it same thing with like engineers right and, and i speak to the dwarf piece because that my i have a big love of dwarves in the old world but it's where whereas the the cls or the deepkin right is kind of a new it really wasn't a very explored like race or anything as part of the old At world all, it's yeah. very new it's a new thing basically and it's super cool. And I mean, the whole concept there is we can ride you know, giant sea animals into battle because, you know, we have the ability to mix air and water ether, like kind of, I forget what it was actually called, but just a, it, it, I don't know. So long story short, I'm just saying it's, it's really cool what they've done to create the lore of Age of Sigmar. Uh, yeah, it, w- it was interesting how they've combined kind of like where kind of these races came from. Right. But no matter what, it's completely something brand new. Uh, <laughs> but same, same, but different. It's, right. Exactly. It's unique. Yeah. Yeah. They essentially took some of what we already know and was like injected as much badass into it as they possibly could. And that's really what it is, right? Yeah. That's a Which, great way to explain it, Matt. They you, took. You talked. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you, you fin- finish with that. I want to. No, I just, I just wanted to say you're, you're right. The way you describe this is right on, man. Like I'm just thinking about it. It's like it's taking everything you love about the old world and then inject as much badassery into this as you can. And what do we come up with? It's kind of like what Age of Sigmar is. I and I respect that. I do. Even if I mean, if you're gonna go badass, may as well go big. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, lightning right. coming out the hands, the eyes glowing. Go for it. Ruins yeah. in the skin. Mm. See, I, I do feel though, like in some ways, that is a detriment. Though one of the things that I like most about Wolfrup is that I don't have to spend an hour describing lore to new players. And I realize that like <laughs> a lot of these games are going to be specific, right? The fans of Age of Sigmar are going to pick this up and love it because they know this world so well. But one of the nicest things about Wolfrup is that I can say, hey, man, you know, like similar to the Lord of the Rings, if you know any basic fantasy, like you can get in, I can give you a little bit of uh, history about Sigmar and about chaos and, 
you know, magic and, and how it's utilized, but it's yeah. not like I'm not teaching somebody a whole new universe of wild species and races and how they, you know, have to, what are these things? Become soul bound mm. and, yeah. Yeah. They look like that. Yeah. Where they come from a new history. So uh, exactly. why is their helmet so big? You know, yeah. and why, why are they eight and a half feet tall? Which is again, <laughs> it's cool, right? It's bad as hell, but it, it from a role-playing standpoint, I wouldn't know where to begin role-playing in this world. Whereas I could, I could sit down with just about anybody with Wolfrup and they'd be able to start role-playing right away. So, you know, yeah, because the-, the old world is kind of like more like kind of real life. I mean, you can always kind of exclude the magic aspects of fourth edition, but right. and kind of, you, you know, it's just, that's not your group's area of expertise is magic. So it's kind of like the real life, you know, you could die real quick. Could survive yeah. real quick. And this one, um, it's unique. Yeah. It's unique. yeah it's so, so, so the way when you describe that, Matt, the first thing I thought of is, all right, so like our first f- four episodes, we gave the while the uh, really basic breakdown of, you know, Warhammer, what you need to know. I think we one was on, you know, theme and history. One was on like magic or in technology. One yeah. was on the chaos and chaos. One was on yeah. we did all of like the races of the like what you needed to know from a high level in one episode right and there is no way we we would need at a minimum double the episodes i think and plus i would need to do a heck of a lot more research in order to like do age of sigmar justice like so that uh, someone that didn't understand age of sigmar could go in feeling decently well prepared and that's not to right. say you couldn't pick this up, never played it, read it through, and run with it. I, you certainly could, but not to the same level of. I know right. nothing about this world. Uh, yeah, I, I would also I will freely admit that I, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about Age of Sigmar outside of what uh, a little bit of what I've heard and and what I've learned as I've read through this book. Um, that if if you are already skilled and are already knowledgeable, then it's going to be so much easier obviously for you to get into it but from a beginner standpoint that's that's where i'm uh where i'm coming from yeah yeah so um anyway let's so going back to the archetype chapter um really cool i just wanted to mention the again the sylvaneth or whatever like how about growing weapons from your limbs because you're like a tree person (laughs) that's awesome um i mean again injected with badassery right so gosh that is DC skill they get to regenerate armor while they rest because their body is just regrowing itself i feel the the artwork for the hunter yes it's so legit dude with the with the the owl there just even makes him more badass like (laughs) i mean the arrow is the size of a human right it's got to be at least that length that's huge Awesome. It, so this is, and that should be, man, this should be the the subtitle of our episode is injected with badassery. That's, I think that's nice. it, gentlemen, because I think that does a really good job of describing this. It's a, you could literally describe Age of Sigmar as, you know, it's it's fantasy injected with badassery. Ah. Yeah. Well, I'm, that's yeah. what it is. I mean, can can you contemplate like just just playing a character? You know, if you wanted to really get into a character, uh, the tree revenant. Way pipe piper. Have you seen him? It's kind of like half yeah. human, half uh-huh. tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just 
Oh, you're human yet you're tree. That's yeah. all, the, all the middle ground in between. That like great scythe looking thing that he's yeah. uh, holding. Wicked. Or <sighs> badass, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Other hands, uh, uh, tree branches. <laughs> but uh, the Kurnath Hunter, I just love the, it's one of my favorite quotes in all this is, there is no pleasure in your destruction, only necessity. From Thornheart, the far stalker of Bramble Grip Enclave. Yep. Awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. So, all right, let's move on. Um, Skills and talents, pretty standard chapter, what you would expect um, from skills and talents, a description of skills and talents and how you can use them, just like in almost any other book. Um, Yeah. Was there there anything anyone wanted to call out, though? Because there are a few I wanted to mention. Well, just just from the the basics of it, real quick, so so you have a better understanding of how it works. So you have the three attributes, right? Body, mind, and soul. Each one of those has associated skills. So you take whatever your number is, whatever your attribute is, then you add to it however many advances you have in a specific skill. That gives you a die pool. So you roll four, fives, and sixes are going to be successes. Uh, And in addition, there's also a thing called focus. So focus is another way to increase your ability in a specific skill. Every focus that you have, you can increase one die by one pip, essentially. So that's just kind of how the skills, how it works. So you can kind of better visualize how, you know, how uh, the gameplay works. Right. Mm -hmm. So, So it's basically add training and characteristic together and then focus yep. gives you the bonus to the dice you can upgrade yeah yep. yep yep so i always had to i have to keep thinking about it again because there's that third step that i'm not used to but uh yeah no that's that's actually right so and skills are pretty straightforward and i want to mention right the number of skills it's not like there are way less skills here than in Wolfrup, and i right. don't think that's a bad thing um mm-hmm. And the same thing with characteristics. So l- let me, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us in this direction for a second. So here's the thing. I freely admit, if I were ever to create a, a role-playing game, I highly doubt I would be okay with three characteristics. Uh, to me, I feel like the perfect number is like six, around six. Um, but the concept is the same. Like they've boiled it down to the, the what you need to know. Body, mind, and soul like kind of covers you, right? I almost would like to, break it out a little bit into different pieces of body, mind, and soul. But it's it's a great, great way to make it simple. I don't have to think super hard right. about it. I don't have to go, okay, is that dexterity or is that agility? Right? I don't have to think about that. It's very simple. Body, mind, or soul, I highly Man. doubt you're going to have to think very hard about it almost ever to figure out and which one course, you should use. This plays more into this game because this is kind of like your soul-bound, right. body, mind, soul type of deal. Mm-hmm. Almost like those are the most important factors, I guess, in your 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 whole life. Yeah, and, and I guess we should also uh, reiterate: there's really no what is it like in Wolfrop, like advanced skills that if you don't have it, you can't test it. Right. You can test any of these. It's just if you have training in a certain thing, you just get more dice. So if you don't yeah. have anything and your and it's under body, which is a three, you only roll three dice. But if you add uh, for like arcane mind, uh, sorry, arcane, it's under the mind. So you'd roll your mind die. And if you had like two training and arcana, eh, there's five dice right there. 
So yeah, you could do any of the skills. It's just the more training you have into it, the more dice you can use. And and on top of it, I, I just mentioned right. There's only 24 skills, and they're all on the character sheet. So like, uh, and so one of the advantages and disadvantages, I would argue, it's a double-edged sword in Wolfrup, is the fact you have so many skills, right? And and quite a, quite a bit of them are like you were saying, advanced skills that aren't on your character sheet. So like sometimes as a GM, if you don't know that system very well, Wolfrup, right? And you're trying to figure out, oh well, I you know your player says I want to do this and you as a GM is trying to determine what skill they should use. Like it's not as easy. Like in this system, I can look at the character sheet really quick and go that skill fits best. Right. It's, it's very simple. And I, I like that. It's not going to be hard to figure out what you're going to roll pretty much at, yeah. to anywhere. Mm-hmm. So one other thing, since we're talking about skills, um, all the archetypes also have a core skill, which I think is fascinating too. It, number one, it helps you choose the archetype and let you know what the archetype is about, right? Like a, a knight venerator has ballistic skill. You know that they're going to be good at shooting. That is kind of what their role is going to be. And they get, during character creation, a bunch of bonuses based on their core skill. So that's another thing I want to point out about skills too, is it helps define your character and the system is built specifically to do that. So having said all of that, talents man there are a couple talents i want to talk about guys so this this it's neat too that a lot of the talents aren't just you know you don't just spend experience to gain them you have to have requirements in some cases it's not just like advances in a certain thing it might be specific uh like trappings essentially you need to have items in order to even be able to do one of the you know yeah. Some of the different talents that are in there. Like combat repairs requires training in crafting and smith tools or, or engineer's tools. So mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's it's awesome. It, it's it's they keep these talents are thematic, but they also are built in such a way that it's not like it's a giant um buffet that you could just choose anything from. Like there is a rhyme or reason for everything and sure you can get that but you need to meet these prerequisites first so Mm -hmm. right and some of the talents are even restricted to certain class right the legendary saga you have to be a durden fire slayer and have training one and entertain which the uh the battlesmith that i did make is my core talent so i got that right away right Oh, you know what I wrote by uh, on my on my show notes next to Syl- Sylvanith. I wrote, "I am Groot." <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, so uh, one of oh, I forgot to say this, but I, I want to, and I'm sorry, I'm going to back up just a second. I want to say one of the archetypes is like traitor, and it is like it's 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 almost like here's the normal person amongst the gods. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of weird, like why they would be soul bound, right? But it's it's interesting. It's some good, but I just wanted to mention that. So, okay, so uh, I know Janet hasn't read this, but um, I'm gonna go on record in saying that uh, Janet's favorite talent uh, in this book is probably loyal companion. Um, oh, it goes without saying. Yeah, <laughs> there you is... have a pet or familiar that serves as your loyal companion. That's all that needs to be said. Yeah, oh, no. I was gonna say I thought it'd be animal friend. 
Is animal friend, what does animal friend do though? Uh, you have an advantage on a post test when trying to get an animal to follow your command or earn its trust. Hey, well, those are like two peas in a pod, man. Yeah, no, that's those are the two <laughs> talents she's taking. Absolutely, first chance she gets. Oh yeah. So. Uh, additionally, you naturally know what an animal wants or what it might be causing it stress or harm. Nice. Yeah. Like on page eighty-seven, yep. do you see the artwork for this drill bill? It's it's like yeah, a mechanical yeah, bird. Yeah, mechanical bird. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. cool. <laughs> Makes me think of something you'd see in like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> right. Yeah. Check out the fish. It's a fish with legs. Yeah. 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 We and another thing too. So another one I really like is Trader's Cash, and it's it's fascinating because it's it's essentially so you have to be a trade pioneer. What we talked about before, but you basically have a certain number of caches heading throughout the world where you might be able to just access them sometime when you need it of just random or rare in, in it's, it's very narrative driven. Um, so like you and the GM can decide, you know, how many, uh, successes you need in order to use or have this item that was in your stash. It's a, it's a, it's a great, those are the type of talents that encourage role play. And I think, those kind of talents are awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, the one that I just saw, um, and it kind of plays into what we kind of experience with with our actual play, uh, is patient strike. You wait until the right moment to strike. You can choose to delay your turn and act last in the initiative. And your melee and accuracy increase one step. The melee and accuracy are something that you do in character creation as well. Those are not uh, attributes, I don't think, is the right way to put it but they're they're part of it it's a, they're derived attributes i would say yeah they're yeah. part of like the yeah. skills i guess it would be yeah they're it's yeah it's it's very combat is interesting i mean when we start talking about that i'm gonna which we should probably start moving that way um mm-hmm. uh just some of the stuff a lot of this is similar right like how you cast spells and things like that um still based off of this system but its roots are still deep in original Warhammer, right? When you think about the winds of magic and the Ulgu and, you know, the gray magic, it's about hidden and trickery and, you know, sneakiness and deception, right? Like the same sort of things. And all in all of the worlds, the, you know, are all part of the realms are based on that as well. So um, a lot of that's the same, same thing. Miracles, miracles are fascinating, um, and they have like universal miracles, which are cool. Then they break them down by like what different God or faction you might serve. Um, mm-hmm. Miracles of Grimnir are pretty awesome. Not going to lie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just, just, it's kind of like the belief in religion chapter of which they have here too, but it's, it's kind of, the same sort of things in Woofrup with like miracles and blessings, same concepts. And then equipment is next chapter. Dude, who wants to talk about the awesomeness of the car? Man, how do you say this? Carhaden? 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 I don't know. I think it's Caradron. Caradron. So I'm just Caradron. terrible at pronunciation, no matter what it is. <laughs> But you basically have a, I don't want to call it a mini game, but you have an entire crafting system for building awesome gear. Like, 
it's uh it's kind of reminds me of like the Star Wars droid tech, you know, um for mm-hmm. Fantasy Flight, right? You really you get all these pieces and this is how much it costs and you can build on these things onto your rig and you have this much power that your rig can generate and you can add so like you're basically the the tech dude that flies around in your magic helium Urgold right. space bubble with your like steam powered yeah, yeah it's like i got my steam powered like... gun and my steam powered hook and my all this other stuff that you can do steam powered hammer like it's yeah it's legit yeah so <laughs> just to list off a couple of the things on the caradron equipment uh so you have your rig is like how you basically get it all started you can add to it a drill launcher a aethermatic volley gun ethermite hammer Grapnel launcher, quad breather, skyhook, sky mines, vulcanizer Jeez. pistol, God's eye. Yes. <laughs> Give me all of those things. Right. It's it's fascinating. It's really cool. And it would and this is something that allows you playing playing that faction to like have a lot of customization for your character. Mm-hmm. I even like I know we're kind of getting a little deeper here on just one aspect of the equipment, but I like how they also have some sample rigs in there as well. Yeah. If you don't necessarily know where to start, it's like, okay, get a basic rig, you know, get the Arcanaut armor, get the Vulcanizer pistol, pick between, you know, a launcher and a skyhook. It's really neat. It's a good way uh, to go about it, I feel. Right. And you have your normal, like, weapons and all, like, nothing, like, too crazy I want to go over. And you have talking about wealth and commerce and how... But one thing I wanted to mention is the currency. So the first thing I want to say, it's base 10. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who knew that in this day and age, we'd be like begging for that. Oh, wait, we live in the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) But it is nice, though. So you have drops, vials and spheres, essentially 110 and 100. But it's so... it is easy to look at that and see exactly how much something is worth instead of seeing these slashes and dashes and D's and S's and GC's. It's like, oh, it costs 100. It costs 250. It costs 300. Or or to be like, okay, I have one gold crown. How much does this cost? It's like 240 pennies. What? All right. So I need a freaking calculator to figure it out. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, man, I uh, I agree. So it's 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 an interesting concept, like that they have liquid. The first time I saw it, I immediately thought of you know latinum. It's it's liquid currency, but it's base ten, and that made me happy. So I just wanted to mention that there's there's something to be said for simplicity over. It's always been done that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. Did it? Oh, so in the equipment tri- uh, chapter, there's also the fire slayer runes. We talked about this earlier. Runes that get built into your skin, you know, and mm-hmm. then basically cast spells and stuff out of them or get benefits. Legit. Yep. I like these. I would love expansion on these runes because just while we do have a good number now, I would still I would want I want more. No doubt. I have no doubt that that will become a reality. But yeah, like a lot of them are uh, like the Rune of Fury. Your melee is increased by one step, or you have a higher initiative, or you have the Ren trait on your weapons. So, uh, 
they're basically just simple and easy to go. But I would, yes, I want more of them to for a bigger collection. Uh, all right. So let's move out of equipment chapter. Let's move on to rules. Um, we've already talked about the standard test, right? Uh, Matt explained how standard tests work. Now, there are three different types of tests. You have your simple test, which we talked about. They have an opposed test, right, where you roll the test against each other, um, like, you know, two characters or whatever, and essentially who gets more successes. You have extended tests, which extended tests are tests that go over long term where you build up successes. Now, those are all pretty straightforward. So let's talk about difficulty. Um, does somebody else want to give their thoughts on difficulty before I go? Because uh, I got I some do this. things. <laughs> so I like it. Uh, like, so we were talking earlier. There's a DN. There's one number, a colon, and then a number num another number. The first number is the difficulty. And then the colon. And then the next one is the complicity, which is basically how many successes you need. So if you see something that's uh, four, three, that means you need at least four or higher on your dice that you roll to be a success and you need three successes. So just in that sense, I like it. It's kind of easy to know because, uh, to me, that's coming from, uh, another RPG, like what is it called? Shadow run, which in that game, five and sixes are successes, but depending on how many successes you get, uh, determines the outcome. So, like, borrowing from that, I like this. However, uh, when you're in combat, that's really, really where it gets kind of tricky because depending on how good your melee is, their defense, in that sense, there's a ladder. And it's really, at least in my opinion, it's really hard to figure out what is what right off the bat. You guys... Tell me if I'm interpreting this wrong, but here's one of my first like major call it concerns about this system. Um, figuring out base difficulty for a GM should not be hard in my opinion. And in my opinion, this system is hard. And because on page 125, they have a breakdown and with the difficulty number and they have the two numbers like we talked about, right? The first number is like how difficult it is. The second number is how complex it is, right? Difficult is how many successes you need and complexity is how how high you need to roll or not. Um, am I getting that backwards? How many successes you need. So what is the difficulty? Oh, how many successes you D need? Difficulty is the number of that you need to roll on your die for it to be a success. Right. Complexity yep. is yes. the number of successes you got must it. have. Got it, got it. So I got I those. I agree that that is... That is tricky well, i feel so, like but, in a lot of cases to like really understand that enough to be able to interpret what the difficulty of something's going to be so here so all right i'm going to go back so my probably my number one problem with we up second edition is it's determining difficulty right as a gm like your difficulty is like if you say okay this should be easy for you and i look at a chart and easy is I forget on the old chart what it was, plus 10 or 20 or average is plus was zero, right? Like it was brutal. Like to accomplish anything was really hard. I, ne I never felt that that chart was well done for the system, right? And I feel in fourth edition, they fixed it, 
right? It's very easy. Me as a GM, all right, player tells me, I want to do this thing. Great. I don't know all the rules inside and out. I haven't looked at every scenario. I haven't thought all of this through. I'm on the spot going to try to come up with a difficulty number, something you need to get for your yep. character to succeed. I need Hopefully to be able to sense. think in my head, is this easy? Is this average? Is this hard? I need to think of that word, look at a chart, and tell you what it is, right? That should be that easy. The problem I have here is this chart tells you, but just for the first number, right? The difficulty number, the complexity number is a whole nother section. And in fact, on page 290 of this book, it gives you a breakdown of difficulty dice pool with a difficulty number compared to the number of dice that a player might run and they include complexity so you can determine how hard this test is going to be for them if i need a chart that big to try to determine difficulty for my players it's too complex i i so i don't know this is i i think this system is clean and well done and all of this but figuring out a complexity number I shouldn't have to figure in. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think anywhere in this chapter, unless I missed it and I could have missed it. I read through it pretty quickly where they really go into depth about how you determine what the complexity numbers should be. Like, I don't know. So this is, that's my it, two it cents. Does kind of summarize it in some cases about like how, how long it takes. Right. So like a, Tasks, let's say a task is a 3-3, three, three, so its difficulty is 3. You need to roll 3s or better for it to succeed. And then the second 3 is uh, essentially how long the task takes or how cumbersome it would be to s complete. So, like, you could, let's say you need to scale a 40-foot mountain, but it's on a reasonable slope. It might be a 2-4 because it's not hard to do. It just takes longer. So I feel like with any of these, it is going to get easier with time yeah that that's you know true. even playing through a little bit of it you'll probably get to where you'll be able to bust those numbers out fairly quickly but it is uh it's a unique it's a uh, you know i've never never seen any system quite like this and i don't fault it i just here's the thing i and maybe this is the problem right i feel like i've read through most of this book and i I am concerned that as a GM, I will struggle to figure out simple difficulties for test. And, and that's my problem. And, and maybe it's I just can, me. <laughs> well, no, I totally agree with you as somebody who's jammed plenty of games. Like you never want to be the reason the game is slowing to a halt. And if somebody's like, Oh, Hey, I want to do this. And you're like, okay, well give me a minute. <clears throat> then you got to think about it. You got to, you know, you give them a number and you just say, Oh, wait, wait, no, that's, it should be this instead. Like those kind of things can really take you out of it. Whereas, yeah. to the example you said earlier in in Wolfer Fourth Edition, it's as simple as saying, "Oh, that's that's easy, or that's average, or that's hard," and that's <clears> you know <throat> immediately. It also you know is a little bit easier, I think, for the players to be able to quickly read the dice and tell you what what happened, as opposed to right, you know, not only having to look at what was rolled, but then how many of each and and whatnot. Yeah, Again, not, not terrible. It'll probably get easier with play, but yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Right. Repetition, but yeah, Lance, I can definitely see from your point of just GMing, like you're not you're not wanting another frustrating aspect to, you know, just kind of like creep up when it should be as easy as you said. Just look on a yeah. chart. Yeah, and, bam, bam, bam. yeah, but, and then and then when you look at extended tests, they talk about having well, it could be as high as ten or twenty, like um, for the complexity. Like, okay, 
well, how did you come up with those numbers? Like, like and, and again, for sure. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> so, all right. So it's just a, it's a me thing, but it's just, uh, it's one of the things that when I, I went into this and I'm like, when, when I have to flip back and forth several times to try to figure out like, Hey, I want to, I want to jump across this gap. Okay. What complexity? I guess that's probably a one, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. So, all right. Anyway, th- that was my two cents. I wanted to bring that up. Now, having said that, it's a dice pool system where you, I think the skills are very well done. I think the um, characteristics are super simple and straightforward. Coming up with what I need to roll as a player, super simple. Not hard at all. I think it's the the difficulty piece here is on the GM, like, determining that complexity number because the difficulty number i have a chart but the complexity number it's a little more tricky so metal talk to us about about metal (laughs) so metal is basically your mind as you try to push yourself to do more things uh most soulbound will have uh their metal and uh it's blessings and other abilities so you could use another action which you can use another attack you can run to another area or double your training so if you have a dice pool of four and you use a metal it would be eight yeah it wait, metal wait, wait, wait. actually wait a minute no i think i got that confused with soul fire yeah yeah achieve max success on dice instead of roll for your as many as you like you can get extra actions with metal or double yep, your you focus. Get, uh, yeah. But, but double your training. Yeah. So, but both of these things, by the way, are, are meta currencies, right? Things that players can use to be better. And so metal is kind of a metal currency, a meta currency for you, the character, where soul fire is a meta currency for the party. Right. Um, and, and I am a huge fan of party meta currency to an extent, as long as it's done well. So, yep. and, and it's thematic. So, so what force and destiny or, or the star Wars line through, uh, yep. FFG, FFG, the yeah. destiny pool, destiny pool. Where if it's on the light side, it can be spent to upgrade, a uh, a dice on a test. Uh, if it's, or, or many other things as well, yeah. but then it, it gets flipped. So it's this, this tug of war kind of, and it's, it can, make for some really interesting dynamics where you might have spent a bunch of destiny and then it's up to the, the, you know, the GM at that point knows, okay, so I can, I can throw some stuff at you now because you don't have this pool to be able to, yeah you know, mm-hmm. hide behind. It is kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, I, I, soul fire and doom are two really uh, neat aspects of this. It's uh, what the, what's it called in wrath and glory. I know we talked about it at length wrath and, uh, uh, Glory. No, there's a there's a third one though, because there's wrath, glory, and um, ruin. That's the third one. Ruin. Yeah, there it is. Wrath, glory, yep. and ruin. Right. Ruin's a GM kind of thing. And this one, doom is. But here's a cool thing about doom. Doom is also like an indicator of how the world is, which is fascinating. Right. Like mm-hmm. as as doom gets higher. Like things are worse for the players, and the GM, like, is encouraged to, you know, they make an example. Well, it's doom is one because chaos is ever present, but that means you know people are going about their daily lives, trying to make things better for themselves, farming, doing whatever. But now doom is at three. Like you go into the city and you see like maybe 
people aren't getting along and there's unrest and arguments and, you know, things aren't being taken care of or, you know, just a, it's a sense of the world in addition to something the GM uses and the players can affect, right? This isn't something like the GM spends per se. The players right. can it's make not, Doom go up and down. Sense. Yeah, it's not a currency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say though, like at the moment, I'm okay with Doom. Like I like that there's another, me- like not yeah, meta currency, but a background of how the world is doing. But it says like, oh, the higher the Doom, some enemies are, you know, stronger and stuff like that. In the bestiary, it don't really say that too much. Like most of the stuff are there so maybe that's something on the gm they add more armor or maybe more toughness the higher the doom is but that's just one thing i've been kind of looking at i'm uh, at the moment oh uh back and forth on right right but i also i want to point this up to your guys so anybody can use soul fire and as we said like it's you know automatic successes or a bunch of successes re-roll dice uh can Stormcast Eternals use Soulfire? I say they can't because they are not soulbound. Mm. Mm. I wonder, is that ever mentioned in here, though? I don't that's think a, it's an interesting point. But it's, uh, uh, it basically says, like, you know, it's the, I believe it's like they say it's the cooperation with the soul for each battle hearted people. So it's like soulbound, the uh, Stormcast Eternals. They're connected to Sigmar. They're not exactly connected to the party. It's just something that I I thought of, and I was like, huh, I wonder if what other people kind of think about well, this. Well, it actually talks about if if the binding disagrees and won't allow, allow you to use it. Like, so the rest of the binding must agree to you spending it. I don't know. That's a really interesting question, and I definitely see why you're questioning it. Um, yeah, automatically why that that would be the case for sure. But I, I, I mean, I, I gotta believe that maybe somewhere in the book, and I, I just didn't see it. I mean, it's a, this book is huge; it's a lot to digest. That I'm, hmm. And uh, another reason I'm not just saying that because of that reason, but like the soul, the Stormcast Eternals, they start with higher uh, mind, body, and soul than all the rest of the party. Yeah, you know, true. they start with stronger weapons and stuff like that. So. I feel like not maybe being the use soul fire is kind of a balancing thing. Yep. It Um, made me think of the same mm -hmm. thing, just like with elves and Wolfrup, right? They're so OP to begin with. Like why not take away one, you know, why give them more ammunition to be even more powerful? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, man, I I wonder people, if this is in the book anywhere, people are probably screaming at us right now, but (laughs) But um, no, that's a good point, man. I'm I'm wondering. All right, let, let's move on to combat. Yep. So uh, there are a couple of things I want to point out about combat. Uh, first, I want I want to say before we move on to anything else, um, zones, distance, movement, and zones. Zones is something that I absolutely 100% love in role playing games. It makes something simple. Um, Star Wars does this with like range bands, but um, Star Trek Adventures uses this zone concept as well. And it is less 
it makes things less of a tactical, like I can move this many squares or let me measure how far you are from this person to that person. Um, and it makes it simple. Like uh, they have on um, page 137 uh, a, a picture, an example of they figured out zones for a combat. Love yeah, it. And each zone isn't just zone one, two, three, four, five. E each zone has its own environmental traits that talks about what type of cover it has, if there's hazards. You know, I, I agree. I think this is really neat because it does take that element of trying to to you know, overthink it and try to be too tactical. Right. And, and simplifies that down. Right. And while I think there are some downsides to the zone concept, it is by far my favorite uh, way of dealing with, um, with these abstract, especially if you're thinking like a, a, the zone concept is I can have a piece of scrap paper and draw it down for my players and they can, we can fill in all the details with our minds. Right. Whereas if you need a, gridded map per se like it gets a lot harder where mm -hmm. you need you almost need more detail in there to make it worthwhile and it, anyway i just i just wanted to say i love that it's age of sigmar is not the only person that uses zones um i think it's a simple and effective way to be able to get combat in a narrative system yeah mm -hmm. uh i do like the zones because like we said especially with this whole the pandemic and the social distancing theater of the mind. If somebody can't, you know, if you can't be at the house and you don't have a grid zone one, okay, you're going to move to zone two or zone three enemies are in zone two and four. You could just quickly fast, fast, fast. This is where everything is. What do you do? Yeah. So you don't got to go too deep in and it, you it's a lot easier maybe to do over online. Uh, yeah. But that do says like, there are some stuff of zoning and stuff that I'm not a big fan of. Like, okay, I'm going to mo move to zone two. All right, I can now hit this person. Okay, oh, this person's in zone one. You know, unless the map really does convey how it looks, why can't I hit them in zone one, especially if they're standing right here? Uh, yeah, like an no, imaginary line. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's I, imaginary line, yeah. yeah. Two inches. Oh, actually, that's in another zone. I can't theoretically hit them. Well, why not? You know, stuff like that. But uh, that might just be because I think most of us are used to like a grid system. So zones one way or another are probably a new, well, not a new concept, like you said, but it's a different way to look at things. That's fair. Nope, that's fair. Um, if, and in fact, I find like for in Star Trek or Star Wars, um, I almost never use gridded maps for that reason because range bands make gridded maps harder to yep. work. Especially, right, because uh, I mean, uh, range bands are going to be coming out from a center point, right? Where, right. where you're standing, it's going to be a different range band from another player. So you have to, yeah, even if in the past when I've used range bands uh, or when I've used gridded maps, I, I tend not to stick to them too rigidly for that exact reason mm -hmm. yep so i mean goods and bads but i personally am a huge fan of it and and it also makes in my opinion like movement and movement rules and things so much simpler um you yep. don't have to get like in in range and different things like it's it's very simplified because the whole concept of the playing field the map is simplified all right i'm gonna something else i want to say so combat 
first off, uh, I said this on the uh, Wrath and Glory bonus episode, but the same sort of thing. You have a very specific list of stuff that you can do um, that isn't restricting, but it, like again, you can hand out a piece of paper to a player that maybe he's never played before and say, oh, here's a list of stuff you can do, actions, you know, and it's, it's a little bit easier. I like this type mm-hmm. of way for combat. Um, and the, the whole combat chapter, by the way, is not, except when you get to dual wielding, dual wielding is, gosh, it's like, it's like, uh, stealth was in wrath and glory. Like it has a whole subsection of rules, <laughs> um, <laughs> like a lot of them for attacking with two ranged weapons with a ranged and a melee. Like they break it down, man. Um, mm-hmm. but, but uh, it just proves that you can, you know, you don't have to do only two melee or two range you can mm-hmm. have a range and a melee right exactly so now here's the part where and you talked about this nolan the ladder i am not a huge fan of the ladder concept for figuring out combat i don't even know how to say like it's it's basically i look at my stat or and then my stat will come up with whether I'm extraordinary, superb, good, or whatever it is. And then I have right. to compare that to whatever it is I'm trying to hurt or combat. And then they come up with one of those things. And then how many, how far away they are determines my difficulty. So like, this is one of those things. So I am not convinced that I think I would have to have a lot of sessions under my belt to figure out the complexity number. But this, I'm fairly certain, one or two sessions in, I would have a much bigger, better handle on quickly figuring out difficulty for combat based on this ladder. But my initial responses is like, ah, I don't know. I like it. It's simple. But it's also, I feel like you have to do a couple of steps before it's simple. You have to ex- get some experience under your belt. I don't know. What do you guys think? So... Even okay, I did bring up the ladder, and maybe I'm contradicting myself from what I say earlier. I like it, and I don't. Uh, I don't think we're gonna see like a big jump. So if you're at a good melee and you're fighting something with a you know a good defense, all right, your DN's four. All right, he has a poor defense. You know, it's a three. He has a great defense. It's a five. Uh, your DN's a five. I don't think we're going to see a big jump or usually if you do, somebody will know, you know, the one below you and the one ahead of you in the ladder. So if you're good, it'll be, I think it's excellent or poor. You know, I don't think somebody's going to have all the way down to the bottom and or be able to go all the way to the top in one round. So maybe there's not a big jump around, but like you said, it's going to take a little bit to know it offhand what's the dn number right now i will say so so basic concept of of hitting somebody the whole concept here is you make a standard attack using like your skill for like your weapon skill or your melee or whatever and the difficulty number is always a complexity of one but the difficulty number is based on the ladder meaning if if i'm good and your average, right, we're one step apart. Or if you're poor and I'm good, we're two steps apart. How many steps apart you are determines the difficulty of the test. Then you roll the test, 
and the number of successes you get is kind of like your bonus damage. So even if even your difficulty is only two apart, you have a bigger chance or the the closer how do I say this? The closer together it is, the lower difficulty number. And if the difficulty number is low, it means chances of you rolling a bunch of extra successes is higher, which means you're more likely to have extra damage. And I think that's very well done, right? Meaning... uh, Yeah, I can see where it makes sense, right? The closer you are on the ladder, the more evenly matched you are if you were, say, in combat, for example... Oh, um, yeah, and I'm sorry, and I might have missaid that. The closer you are in the chart, it's not a lower difficulty number, it's higher. So if I'm right. excellent and you're poor, the difficulty number for me to hit you is very low. Um, right. It's only two, right? And then, yeah. So, But the, the idea here is, it's it's so when you look at it compared to Woofrup, right, it can be so swingy, right, because you're using a D100 system. Even though, you know, the the opposed test makes it less of a swingy thing. It's still, you can roll really well and I can roll really bad. And despite the fact that we are very far apart and how good we are at swinging a sword, um, you know, we, the amount of damage is affected by that, but the swinginess means you're not going to consistently do more damage in a dice pool system. I'm consistently going to hit super weak people that suck compared to me um, for more damage all the time it's it's like that bell curve works in my favor there right and it feels like better it feels like less of a chance that just because we had a swingy roll i you know i I, i'm just gonna struggle to get any sort of consistent damage output right one thing i I thought was a little odd the the ladder was mentioned earlier um in character creation uh and the two tables the one that's in character creation and the one that's here in the combat rules are are different no like way one of them are. has one of them has uh numerical figures on it which i think might make it a little easier to really understand the one in character creation does the one here in uh what page is character combat creation one? Not. it's like 38 39 something like that i think it's actually page 38 but it's on page yeah, 39 no i but. see it Oh, yeah, so those numbers help you figure out what your rating is. So those, so when you look at those numbers, those numbers are like, all right, if your accuracy is this, it's, is it between five and six? It means your accuracy is good. It may, okay, got yep. it, got it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's helping you identify what your rating is, meaning those words, and then, then you can compare those words. So the nice thing is, is like in the B-Series, like they don't give you a number; they just tell you melee attack good, melee attack poor, or whatever it sure. is. Um, mm-hmm. So it is simple and straightforward. But like I said, I just think it's one of those things that take your head, because I have to look at how many steps we are different, and then come up with right. a number. Which it's not like I'm just counting how many steps different there is. I have to come up with a number by looking at a chart. It's let me let weird. me say this. I, I think a GM screen in this case would be super helpful for Agreed. something like being able to interpret the ladder and interpret uh, difficulty numbers and things like that. Yeah. Without it, man, you're that puts a GM in a tough position. Right. I actually yeah. I want to bring that up because uh, in the PDF at least on the character sheet they do have like a little table, right? If you're extraordinary, superb, great, good, average, poor in each of those categories, melee, range, and defense. 
and then right next to it, it says, if you're equal, it's four. One step mm. higher, three. Two steps higher, two. You know, one step lower, five. Two yeah. steps lower, six. Yeah. So it does have it right there where you On know, the character okay. sheet. Yeah. Yep. You know what? And I'll be honest, this makes it way more palatable for me. I guess I didn't realize that was there. Like I saw it, but it didn't click in my mind. But now that you're saying that, Mm -hmm. like me as a player, if all I got to do is look there, that's actually not that hard to figure out since they lay it out for you. So, uh, you know what? I take it back. I think this is going to be less of a hard thing than I thought. So I'm going to go and say, I'm going to come out and say, I really like the combat system here. Um, Figuring out difficulties is easy um, and and straightforward. And even the, yeah, the two yeah, and like, yeah. like you were saying, you don't have those big swings. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. Because that, that's interesting with Wolfrub 4th edition is that it, you never know what's going to happen. Right, right. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> with this, at least you kind of got more of a like, okay, this thing's smaller. I, I might crush it right now. That yeah. Deal. All right, so let's talk damage. It's super interesting concept here, right? So as you take damage, your toughness goes down until you get to zero toughness. Then you start getting wounds. And there, and once your wounds go down, you can get three types of wounds, a minor wound, a serious wound, or a deadly wound. Um, now, this seems a little convoluted. Like where you're, all right, I'm essentially taking toughness damage and then I'm taking wound damage and then there are types of wounds, but becoming mortally wounded and the death concept is, is it's one of those things where you'll probably have to read it a couple times when you're doing it, but the concept is super interesting. You have a test, like a death test that you do, which is something similar to fifth edition D and D. I believe there's death test, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so you have this death test based on a difficulty of how how big is your wound wound minor? It's a four one. If it's deadly, it's a four three. So like, and that's how you can determine how to die. Um, and uh, we should point that out: uh, the minor wound, serious wound, or deadly wound. When you roll for your uh, death roll, it's what brought you down. So if a minor wound is what brought you down, it's a yeah a four one. Right. So it's, yeah, it's not like if you took a big hit, big hit, little hit, oh, well, I had all these major hits. No, it's just that one that brought you down. That's all you got to then concentrate on. So, well, and the wounds are really interesting too. So you have a wound track on your character sheet. And depending on, you know, once you've hit the bottom end of your toughness, when you're taking wounds, depending on how big of a wound you're taking, that determines how many essentially spaces that you fill in on this wound track yep. until you get to the point where you're mortally wounded, which of course is lots of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so there's one thing I want to point out in all of this. Um, so the the death is cool. The examples are nifty. They even have a, a player die in here, but did you guys read the section on last stand? Because yeah, I loved that. That is so cool. The, the concept here, right, is like you basically as a player say, you know what, this is my last stand. And yep. you basically get to, what is it, erase. You're no longer stunned. You remove all your conditions. Your metal refills to its maximum. You're immune to all damage, including environmental effects and hazards, meaning you're going to go wading through some lava, man. Your mm-hmm. melee and accuracy increase one step, and your damage 
um, ignores armor. And so, and basically, when your turn ends, you die. But imagine what you could do with that. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. and and how cool is that, right? Like, it allows the player to take control. Like, I'm going to die here. And I'm like, at least I'm going to go out with a bang, right? Like, that's basically what it is. And you do your last stand, and it, it, you're pretty much guaranteed to do something awesome. So... For sure. Uh, what a, what a memorable event that'll take place in your game, right? Yep. Oh, man, you remember that time I did a last stand? And, uh, you know, it's I feel like those are always going to be moments that are super cinematic and super memorable, which is what you should always strive for when playing role-playing games. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in character, can you imagine if your your campaign continues, you make up the new character and, you know, the new Soulbound or whatever joins you, and all of a sudden, like, like yeah, well... Durden died killing 12 orcs, um, you know, in, in the middle of a lava field, you know, as his, you know, like just the story your characters get to tell to other characters and like, we'll just build it up. Like where I can tell you me as a player, like, I, I mean, unless I'm really, really in love with my character, the first chance I have to do a last stand, I'm doing it. Like, it just seems like so much fun. Uh, but something we should, uh, I want to point out with the last stand, you either do a last stand or you do your death test. So you can't die and be like, oh, I'm actually going to do a last stand instead. However, so if your character dies, doom increases by one because, you know, you're fell, chaos is winning. But if you do a last stand, not only is, you know, doom not increased, everybody's soul fire the party's soul fire is increased by one and refilled to its new maximum yeah because you uh inspired everybody you know yeah i just took down uh a vermin lord you know with my last breath the other people like will see that and be like you know hold the line like right forward Uh your allies are bolstered by your heroic sacrifice how cool really it is a cool way to like, you know, go out not only with a bang, but knowing that you're not letting uh, you, the other players suffer by having the doom go up, but instead you're potentially giving them uh, an advantage. What really a what neat. a giant difference from Wolfrup, though, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like like how did my character die? Well, a goblin got lucky and decapitated me. It was grisly yeah. and bloody, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that. And yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it also is a nice little like side thing where it's like, well, there's no way I can make this, you know, this death save. All right. Last stand. Yeah. Yep. All right. So combat is cool. Lots of good rules. It's simple. It's not a huge chapter um, there. And, and, uh, and honestly, it's, it's simpler than I even thought when we started this discussion, having that chart right on the, the character sheet. I, I'm a fan. Um, the next chapter is between adventures, and I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this um, because, quite frankly, we have an episode on the between adventures uh, chapter uh, that the Lord of the Underdeep Nolan here was a part of with us, where we talk about it on Wolfrup, and the concept is exactly the same, very similar. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, just it's what do you do in your downtime, and and uh, kind of 
again, I don't want to use the word mini game, but it's a it's a whole fun concept here. Um, we could talk an entire episode about this it, with this system, just like we did before. If anyone has anything specific they want to say about it, now is your chance. But I will just say that it is just as awesome as it is in Woofrup. It is here. Yep. I agree. Uh, I think it's kind of funny, though. Like, so in Woofrup, the elves, uh, they had to usually spend one endeavor to do elf things, you know, being an right. envoy and stuff. Uh, in this version, Stormcast Eternals usually have to spend <laughs> one endeavor yep. uh, returning to the, right? uh, the storm host. Uh, I guess, I don't know, get revigored or something like that, which I find is kind of hilarious that somebody's still... But like we said earlier, the Stormcast Eternals get so much stuff. Yeah, they maybe some areas they're a little bit weaker. Yes. And like uh, Wolfrup, you know, I... I would like more endeavors. There's even a little section where GMs and players can work together to, you know, come up with endeavors on their mm-hmm. own. Yep. Yeah, really cool. It's a cool chapter. If you're going to run more than one session in the system, you really should read that chapter um, and and do it uh, because I guarantee it'll be fun. So, all right. So the next two chapters is the Mortal Realms and the Great Parts. So the Mortal Realms... Uh, these are both. So first thing I want to say, the core rule book comes with uh, like the PDF comes with a giant map of the great parts. Um, it is detailed. It is huge. It is awesome. Remember everything I said about wrath and glory, how I was disappointed mm-hmm. there weren't maps. Well, man, mm-hmm. did they give us a map in this? Thank <laughs> Do you. We know is that is that going to be included in the book in the actual physical copy, like a fold out? My understanding is that it's going to be similar to fourth and it'll be like the inside cover uh okay um but i don't so don't quote me on that i'm not 100 percent. that's my understanding uh, and we received the pdf the exact same way with fourth right it's not built into the actual pdf of the core rule book it was a separate file mm. and it was okay. the inside that's how i expect it to be i could be wrong but um yeah, that's what i expect that. yeah um so anyway, great map. Um, so the first, the Mortal Realms is a breakdown of like all of the, so we talked about this, right? There are different realms based on the Realm of Fire is Aquashi, right? Which is the Wind of Fire in the the old world, right? These are all based on the old magical winds. Each realm has its own. Um, we do not have time to go over each of these and explain that, but this chapter gives you history and understanding of what it's like there, who's in charge, what what's going on. So it gives yep. you a great breakdown. Read a ton it. of lore. And in addition, real quick, no, each one of the realms has a uh, whole sidebar, essentially, that is an adventure hook for that realm, which I'm mm, yes. uh, always, always a fan of adventure hooks whenever and wherever we can get them. Yep. Yep. That's a good point. I'd forgotten about that. But yes. Yep. Um, and so uh, the... The great parts is basically a breakdown of part part of the realm of um, Aquashi or whatever the realm of fire, and it breaks down it like so. Take that map, break it into little sections, and then break down each section. It's like the Reichland chapter except broken down regionally, right? It's it's taking that mm-hmm. map and regionally breaking it down, and then talking about what's there, who's there, that sort of thing. Um, very cool. Uh, I love it. The map is great. The artwork is great. Um, 
one the, so the artwork on page 2 11 12 13 with all the boats like kind of just fast together yeah, yeah. dude Big just city so cool it's just, but stuff like that is all over in this chapter um man great stuff so again not going to go over it all in detail but man just like uh, like i it, this is the kind of chapter that like you read a section and you're like, I want to go adventure there, which is if, what it's all about, right? <laughs> yeah, if you look on page 215, it, it's I think one of the most unique ones where it's kind of like you're looking through a gate. Yeah, and you see like a different realm on the other side. Yeah, and that's a there are there are portals linking the realms. I think that's meant to be one of the portals. It's right. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Super cool art. Oh. Yeah, I like how there's like little mini maps throughout yes. this chapter as well that have a different feel, totally different feel than the maps from uh, Wolfrup. Full color, a lot of uh, like rich hues. It, it really is a, they're sharp looking maps for yes. sure. Mm-hmm. They really Much smaller are. Scale, these, the ones I'm referring to now are about a quarter or a sixth maybe of the page. So they're not, you know, huge sprawling maps, but yeah. what you can see on them, they look good. Yeah. And they, it's like they're breaking down that giant map of the parts into different sections and going right. through it. Yeah. Yeah, really, really cool stuff. All right. Anything else on that before we move on? Nope. Just, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's basically just like what we, we talk about, right? It's, it's this is the comparable to the Reichland chapter mm-hmm. so that you can, you know, you can get a history of one section of the world. And certainly with future releases, it's going to be expanded upon. Yep. So the next few chapters, again, I don't think we need to go over in depth, but we have a chapter on religion and belief. And we then we have a chapter on magic. And same concept, religion and belief. It talks about the different gods, the different strictures, very similar to to uh to fourth edition Wolfrup in that way. It talks about the followers and stuff. Um we could do an entire I, I mean, these are kind of more uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like specific than I want to get into like in a general review. But lots of depth for for the different gods and strictures and followers and everything. Man, I love that piece of art of uh, Sigmar sitting on his giant throne. That is uh, that is pretty badass. What page is, is that one? That was on page two thirty one. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's like yeah. out in space. There's like yeah. you know yep. planets and stars that are around him. That's uh, that's yeah. really something. Yeah, and there's yeah, there's a lot of like grungy. There's one of those for everybody. Yeah, there is. Everyone has a cool piece of art. Yeah, 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 man. It's it's really nice. Magic uh, again, same sort of thing. You have a whole list of spells. It's based on the different like again. It's kind of like the winds of magic from you know Woofrup. Um, you know rules on casting and using magic and a little bit of history and stuff too. Um, and there's something called defined aspects. It has a whole chart. Uh, again, I don't want to go. You, and by the way, there's a. Oh, let me back up here. There's a section on creating new spells, which is super cool. <laughs> but again, I, I mean, unless anyone has anything to 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 say on this stuff, it's pretty straightforward. It gives yeah. you the rules. It lists out a ton of spells. It gives you some optional stuff in there. One one thing, real quick, I mm-hmm. I really like. I, if there's one thing that that uh, Cubicle Seven has not faulted us on. It's the art in these books. My goodness, it's so yeah. good. Yeah, 
the uh so much of when it. you mm-hmm. yeah oh there's so much when uh listeners when you get your hands on this book or the pdf flip to page 239 for maybe the most badass piece of art i've ever seen of grimnir fighting a lava i don't know dragon or demon Ooh, of some sort. yeah yeah that one's great yep mm-hmm. i also uh, the one for um uh corn is ridiculous i this i really appreciate that in all of warhammer you know across all the books they have these uh pieces of art that are essentially like icons for different factions different gods different uh you know it seems like every god every faction has their own small like icon almost that uh is associated with them they're really cool yeah good stuff yeah (laughs) all right next is game master chapter um it talks about things like tones making it feel like Age of Sigmar, which I think is important in uh, an IP-specific role-playing game. Um, it talks about GM's toolbox, um, which gives you like different ideas on special rules, point buys, and um, you know even Grim and Perilous, right? Um, group test things. It, it just basic GM stuff. Uh, there's nothing super. I don't want to say it's not special. There's a lot of good advice that even. Um, game masters that have been doing it for a long time should read before they run this game. But uh, it's a, it's a shorter chapter, but it's got good stuff in it. Talks to you about how you zoom doom, all that kind of stuff. Little, so tips. Mm-hmm. I do like the, uh, what is it? When you're making a campaign, rumors, fear, and threats. Ooh, yes. You know, that's a good a one. Nice little breakdown. So basically what the book is saying is that when you're starting an adventure in a campaign, as a GM, make like five, six, seven rumors. These are basically like, hey, I heard this, you know, I heard that. You know, not really that big, you know, everyday people are gossip. A fear is something that maybe certain towns are feeling, you know, like, oh, some of the uh, the farming land is becoming tainted or something like that. We can't mm-hmm. exactly feed this city that well. Threats? That's like the main adventure that's it's going to be. So like, oh, a big pile of beastmen or the greenskins are being sighted. They're attacking these towns. That's the big threats. Now, rumors can become fears. Fears become threats. And if you let threats kind of, you know, uh, fester or sit around too long, that can maybe increase your doom, which... Yeah just increases more and more now you've got more chaos around yep and defeating a threat is a way to reduce the doom as well yep mm-hmm. yep good stuff all right so our last chapter bestiary i i have yeah, yeah. I, I have some thoughts i want to share in this but i want to hear your guys's thoughts first um I I I like that there's you know it's a good size bestiary but um definitely not as much artwork as I'm used to you know just displaying different things but mm-hmm. I actually don't mind it I like the kind of the stat block like it has right at the top average you know what their melee accuracy and defense is you know then right. the armor toughest wounds if they have metal or metal which usually uh it's separated to what is it minions warriors champions and chosen usually only uh chosens are gonna have metal and usually chosens and champions are gonna have wounds so but 
this is kind of like how it is in other systems like D&D. And I think like Pathfinder kind of uses this kind of setup. So like to me, this is, you know, I can read this pretty well. You know, maybe coming from other wolf rups, it may be a little jarring. But honestly, I don't mind the whole setup. I do wish there was maybe more pictures because I always kind of like looking at like, you know, right away. What's a bitter grub? You right. know, I don't know. Is that an example? Like, yeah. To me, it's like, is that I I'm honestly I think of like fallouts, those giant like cockroaches. You know, mm. that's to me, that's what I think is a bitter grub, you know, is I don't even know if that's really true. All right. Here's here's my thoughts. First off, um, I wanted to talk about creature roles, minions versus swarms and warriors. Swarms is a rule set up so that you can do similar to the 40k thing that I love so much, similar to minions in Star Wars, uh, FFG Star Wars, right? Like a group of a people right. attacking together, one attack, one stat. Way simpler to handle groups um, instead of having like, oh, I got these 12 people and they all attack individually. Um, things like that. Uh, love the rules. Super simple, straightforward. The stat blocks. Man, I, I want to be careful how I say this, but I almost want to say that maybe these are some of the best stat blocks ever. Um, very clear. Very clear. Very clear. What you're looking at. Very mm -hmm. straightforward. All of the special rules, they're not on a different page. I don't have a list of special rules that I need to go figure out and figure out how they interact together. Yeah. Like, And one of my biggest beefs with 4th edition is, is the Beast Theory in certain ways. Now, the thing I love about 4th edition that every piece has an art artwork, and I love that. I would rather have less items in my Beast Theory and more artwork. I would rather have yeah. artwork for every item. I'm not going to apologize for that. That's my personal opinion. I would rather lose half of this stuff and have everything have a piece of art. Then you can sell me a, a B-Series book with with the same thing, and I will eat it up. So, But that's that's just me. So that's the one downside of this. Everything else I love. I, I love that I can I could, I could literally copy and cut out a quarter of this page and have everything I need in that little piece of paper to run a combat encounter with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Why? Why isn't all games like this? <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, no, I I love it. Um, so and it's it's easy. I have they break it down. They give you flavor text and all that kind of stuff. But the and the artwork that is in here is great. Uh, but I want more of it. And I want I want a piece for every. But but man, I am really looking. I can forgive that. Because these stat blocks are so good. Even the Keeper of Secrets stat block on page two, uh, 323, it takes up half the page, but it's clean, and everything I need is there. Everything. I... Yep. I, what, what, I mean, to me, that's it huge. It makes it simple for a GM, absolutely. Yes. Yes, and the GM is the one that has so much work on their plate already. Running a combat... Or an, an encounter, even like an encounter that's just a, like, you know, a social encounter or something. A stat block that's this simple and this straightforward and gives you everything you need. Yes, please. Every single time. Thank you. So, anyway, that that's my two cents on this. I love this. If they would have put a piece of artwork for every single entry, this would have been maybe the best, I mean... 
I don't know. Best I still think book, Beast Jerry. Yeah, uh, yeah, be pretty, be pretty close. Yep. Yeah, pretty dang close. Yeah, that's so. There's my opinion on it. I love it. I just want more art. I want I want every piece to have art. So, which I know costs money and page count, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm yeah. willing to make that sacrifice. I know others are not, but. Another uh, another thing, just to point out, this has an extremely thorough index. Yeah, uh, at the very yep. end, there's five five pages of you know four columns per page index that is is great. I think it's probably one of the most thorough ones that I've seen. In addition, right here at the end, just kind of a throwback to what we talked about earlier, there is an ad for the GM screen right at the end of uh, this PDF. So, yeah, yep, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, thirty-two page booklet with adventures, three panels of art, which whew, looks phenomenal. In addition, they are also advertising a starter set on here as well. Yep. And hey, page three forty-two. How about one page that I can copy and print for all my conditions and all the rules? Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so don't get me wrong. I love my fourth edition, but man, there are some things in Soulbound that I almost feel like fourth edition they got so many things right and the things they got wrong they made sure to get right and sold out <laughs> but yeah yeah you better believe i'm printing and probably laminating a copy of the uh conditions page if i'm running this game uh-huh yep and it's just gonna sit out on the table at all times yep yep absolutely all right, gentlemen, man, we are two hours in and what a review. Um, let's, let's just go around the horn. Um, man, everybody tell me your final thoughts. And I mean, what would you give this, out, you know, give this out of 10? So I like the, it's kind of quick and simple. Like we said, the stat sheets, very easy to learn the zones. I like that overall. The only thing that I, like I said, I have maybe a problem with is the doom. I just don't think enough of the beat in the bestiary or the enemies uh, utilize that enough, but maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's on the GM, but overall I'd say eight out of 10. Steve. Um, I liked it. I mean, everyone knows I'm not a fan of the old world bl blowing up, but you know, <laughs> they created this new world and you know, they really went badass. And their rule book here reflects that. It's 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 nice. Um, the artwork's nice. The rules are simple. They're clean. Um, you know, of course, I always like artwork, but this book has a ton of it. I don't want to say that just because one section lacked a little bit that the whole book isn't filled with it. Oh, it's right. It's very nice. Mm -hmm. Looks beautiful. Um, I would definitely give this game a shot and enter that world once or twice. You know, just get the feel. Yeah. What would you give it out of ten? I'd give it a nine. Yep. Matt. I mean, when are we going to stop talking about how consistent <laughs> cubicle seven is with their layout <laughs> and their graphic design, their artwork? It's all there. It's the all there. Every, yeah. every book of theirs that I've pulled out and looked at, I know what I'm getting. I know that it's going to be beautiful. I know that it's going to have, you know, pretty much everything I need. One thing I hounded on wrath and glory about which I really can with Soulbound 2 is that there isn't um, an adventure in the book, but they, there is an adventure that is available, a free PDF officially that is available for download. I believe it's right now. Yeah, cra it's Crash and Burn? Is that what it is? Yep. Yep. So that's nice to have that available. Um, there's not many things that from a 
from an objective standpoint that I don't like about this book. One of the things that we haven't mentioned so far, but on every page that has rules, there's a sidebar and the sidebar like throughout the book uh, on, you know, any, any page that you're looking at, there's going to be things that are highlighted that are keywords that are referenced elsewhere. Mm-hmm. That's so, a good thing to point out. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You don't got to look in the back of the book for where the page is, just those keywords that pop out and they get yeah. yep. the page. Yeah. Yep. You're not, you're not jumping all around constantly, but if you do have to, it tells you right where. So I just, I went to a random page, page 134, which is the uh, page that talks about effects of doom. So on that page, on the sidebar, for more, uh, you know, the different things that are listed are, for more advice on using Doom to describe the world, see page 292. Using Soulfire, page 131. Fleeing, page 143. Retreat, 144. Rumors, fears, and threats, page 294. Cleansing corruption, page 156. It's, it's all there. I think it, it makes the page look really clean because it is separated. You know, it's not a footnote. It's it's a whole you know side section of the page. That's that's a nice feature that that make navigating this book really convenient, really easy. So, from a purely objective standpoint, uh, this this book's phenomenal. It's great. Um, I'm not as sold necessarily on the lore or the world, but that's mostly because I don't have a lot of experience with it. Just like what Steve said, I would I'd sit down and play a game of this in a heartbeat. Eight, eight and a half out of ten for sure, right in there. Yeah, excellent work. Um, all right, so I'll finish it out. Um, you guys have pretty much said everything that I would say here. Um, so to sum up my thoughts, so my my only concerns, um, that complexity number. I know I've harped on it, and I know it's not as big a deal for you guys, but it is for me. I just I can't get over it. Maybe after playing the game or running the game a couple times, it wouldn't be a problem, but. Man, it just it seems like a problem for me. Um, so that's but that is like maybe from like a pure rules standpoint, like the only real concern I have. The other concern I had since they have the the, the different steps for the you know combat abilities on the the character sheet isn't a big deal for me anymore. Um, I think it's fine, and I think that the concept of how simple it is makes it nice. I think combat is is great and simple enough yet varied enough to be interesting i think that um the statistics and characteristics and skills are all fit on the page and are all simple and straightforward i think there is something to be said for having some more complexity there but i think for this game and what it's trying to do um you know to matt's point earlier inject badassery into a game it's great it does what it needs to do and my only other complaint as a bestiary, I want more artwork. But to Steve's point, there's artwork throughout the entire book. We've said that the the layout, everything is beautiful. Cubicle seven, like here's the thing, man, and and we've said this. So Cubicle seven is not perfect, but man, when we get the product, dang, is it well done? It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's laid out well. And and even though the B series is missing the artwork, the stat blocks are so easy to use as a GM and tell me everything I need right there. Like that is huge to me, so much so that I'm willing to forgive the fact that there's not artwork there, even though I really want it. And oh yeah, how about the fact that I got an amazing giant beautiful map with this, right? And a breakdown of that map into different regions through a very in-depth look at all that even our boy ts put in a bunch of farming 
history and everything into this. It's it's thorough, man. All right, and, and I'm going to echo Matt on this, right? And and Steve, I am a fan of the old world. I'm, you know, you know, call me what you want. I'm a grognard. I, I love the old world, and, and Age of Sigmar is not going to ever replace that for me, I don't think. Um, don't get me wrong. There is some awesomeness in the lore and all this, but it, it's it's not going to replace the old world for me by long shot. Having said that, like Matt said, objectively, this is a, an amazing game. Again, haven't played it, and I fully intend to at some point, but um, but based on our, our look here, um, and I, man, maps, one rule issue that I had a, a concern with, um, just wanted some more artwork in the B-Series, that, that's, that's it, man. Like, and maps isn't an issue they, that's taking... I, I have to give this a 9 out of 10, honestly. I really do. It is that good. If you like the world of Age of Sigmar, you know it, or it seems interesting to you, this is a no-brainer by this book. It is well worth your time, in my opinion. You're here. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think if we were to average this out, I think we would be about like 9 out of 10 as a group. Would that be... <laughs> yeah. That's yep. fair, yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, I'd call it that. I'd call it that. Yeah. So, Lord of the Underdeep, thank you again, man, for for joining us uh, to talk. Yeah. This has been a long one. Um, I know this was one that you were excited to talk about, and uh, and and you pitched it a little bit. We knew we were going to do a bonus episode on this, and and we were glad to have you join us. So, thank you, man. Oh, I was always glad to be on here. Uh, always a pleasure, man. Yeah, Nolan, we appreciate your perspective and your input. Thanks. All right, Steve, want to call us out here? So intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. Also, uh, you can check that out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. But we also have a Zazzle store. So if you want some cool merch, just go to oldworldpodcast.com slash store and uh, check out some cool. I'm wearing an Old World Podcast t-shirt right now, and it's it's very awesome. And uh, I think Matt and I, our, our favorite thing might be there are these Old World Podcast steins that are just yeah I, I drink out of it like almost every day so yep yep from a from a quality standpoint it is wildly impressive yeah so definitely check that out indeed also let us know what you think visit itunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us every review helps us reach even more warhammer fans all right this is lance saying good night and you too should inject some badassery in your games Nice. This is Matt saying, I've been really inspired by the Caradron equipment, and uh, I'm going to get off here and go work on my ether rig. This is Steve. I agree with Lance. Inject that badassery into your life. And this is Nolan saying, this is where we make our stand. Oh, yes. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. 
GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.